1: If you've never seen the movie Crash, it interweaves several stories of unique individuals all connected to a car crash. Well, that's our weekend review. Several seemingly separate stories all centered around Canadian politics and social life. But it's not centered around a car crash. No, Canada's much more like a raging dumpster fire. We will recap the public inquiry into the invoking of the War Measures Act looking at last week's hearings. If I were to describe our federal government's actions surrounding the Freedom Convoy and the truth being brought out in this public inquiry, I would have to say it's like a full-on Category 5 raging dumpster fire. Yes, another, another one. And finally, our federal government plans to welcome 500,000 immigrants per year into our country. Just so we're clear. We are printing money out of nothing and spending ourselves into oblivion. Apparently, our healthcare and welfare systems are overwhelmed and at a breaking point. I wonder what Canada might look like with an influx of half a million people each year into that kind of setting. Oh, wait, I know. A blazing, insatiable, end-of-days harbinger of devastation. Dumpster fire. But don't worry, friends. It's a good thing that we have flame-retardant suits made of truth and a powerful flame-quenching extinguisher also made of truth. It's November 15th. I'm Andrew DiBartolo. That's Matt Halleck. And this is the Liberty Dispatch.
0: Hey there, and welcome to the Liberty Dispatch, broadcasting across enemy lines into the Canadian culture war. Thank you so much for joining us again on the Liberty Dispatch, wherever you're getting our content from. Be sure to like, subscribe, rate, review, do what you can to get that content out to other people so we can get that truth that Andrew spoke of at the top of the program out to more and more Canadian citizens. Please, if you would get our content we're on the flf network the fight laugh beast network and you can get all our content from there so be sure to go over to FLFnetwork.com, check it out over there you can also get a handy little app from them so then you can get all our content as well as the many other wonderful podcasts on the network directly to your phone whether uh apple or android it's available at both the google play and the apple app store also our website liberty coalition canada.com be sure to go over there check out all things lcc sign up for our email list at the bottom of the page and also if you would Go up to the top of the page and leave a donation. Please help us reach our goal of $300,000 by the end of the year so we can fund what we're doing here at the Liberty Coalition, which is fighting for your God-given rights and your civil liberties so that we can stop the the incessant lies from our mainstream media and also push back against the tyrannical government overreach in our society as again it seems like they're uh, they're getting prepared to uh potentially lock down and definitely put mass mandates back in place so it's definitely a help to us and a help ultimately to you to fight for those liberties. Also, Finally, any comments, questions, concerns, please send them our way at info at libertycoalitioncanada.com. We've been hearing from a lot of you. We're always trying to take your feedback into consideration, and we are so encouraged by a lot of the feedback um, and love that we've been getting from each and every one of you as well. So keep that coming. Info at com. While we're on the
1: topic of that blazing dumpster fire that is Canadian politics and social life, I have a question for you. Are you tired of having leftism rammed down your throat everywhere you turn? Aren't you frustrated by the fact that the businesses you support are giving money to leftist causes? Why are you buying coffee from companies that hate you and your freedoms? Well, Resistance Coffee Company is here for you. Now you can enjoy the wonderful taste of fresh roasted coffee with the knowledge that your money isn't funding the leftist causes you despise. In fact, Resistance Coffee gives 10% of every purchase to organizations that are fighting for the constitutional freedoms of Canadians. Resistance Coffee roasts specialty-grade coffee beans, which means you're getting high-end coffee that is roasted fresh for you. I am currently drinking the Empty Promises Roast, which is fitting given our episode and what we're seeing coming out of the public inquiry. And it's a decaf roast, but I have to tell you, it's pretty good for a decaf roast. Hmm. You can barely tell the difference except for the fact that I'm a little bit of a coffee snob. So, be done with stale grocery store coffee. Support Canadian freedoms. Go to resistancecoffee.com lcc and join the resistance today. And make sure you use that slash LCC to get 10% off of your purchase so that you can have matching shirts like Matt and I, this was unplanned, (laughs) and a sweet hat like he has as well. This hat is awesome. It's it's quickly
0: become my go-to. So It it works well with
1: your beard. I think it brings out some of the grays that are slowly coming out of the ginger beard, which also (laughs) looks like a little bit of a fire as well. So... Go to resistancecoffee.com slash LCC.
0: Well, Andrew, at the start of every week, we like to look back at the week that was in our segment called The Week in Review. Let's cue it up. So first of all, the federal government has had to throw away millions of doses of the COVID injections.
1: Canada is going to throw out about 13.6 million doses of the Oxford AstraZeneca COVID-19 vaccine because it couldn't find any takers for it either at home or abroad. Canada signed a contract with AstraZeneca in 2020 to get 20 million doses of its vaccine, and 2.3 million Canadians received at least one dose of it, mostly between March and June 2021. Following concerns in the spring of 2021 about rare but potentially fatal blood clots from AstraZeneca, Canada focused on using its ample supplies of mRNA vaccine from Pfizer-BioNTech and Moderna.
0: The federal government is throwing away nearly 8 million doses of the Moderna shot. The government has had already to throw away 1.2 million doses of Moderna shot that has expired And the government has also had to throw away 13.6 million doses of AstraZeneca's shot. The number of expired Moderna shots has now risen to 7.7 million. The government has also now disposed of 3.1 million doses of Novavax. About 7,000 doses of the Pfizer shot have already been thrown away as well and we've covered this extensively on the program but Canada ordered tens of millions of doses from seven different manufacturers enough doses for 10 for each Canadian citizen the only problem is they expire <laughs> and as we're seeing now we're we're, we're having tons and tons of Lost taxpayer money due to the disposal of these funds and these uh, the the fact of the money uh, the fact of the matter is these shots all cost nine billion dollars and these were purchased before they were even cleared for clinical trials so it's a boondoggle to say the least, that our government has been so insane about vaccination that they overspent by the millions and millions to get a bunch of shots that would end up in the trash, frankly, where they deserve to be. Um, And they do all this at the expense of the taxpayer. And I think this is a true scandal that... Mainstream media is not going to cover in the in the depth that it needs to be.
1: And really, it's another example of a federal government that without all of the information, without all of the without actually understanding the situation, makes a rush, hasty Mm -hmm. decision because of their power and because of the money that they're able to create out of nothing. That ends up looking like loss for all of Canada. You know, mm-hmm. like the invoking of the War Measures Act. It's the same thing, right? Our yeah. our audience needs to understand that what part of what we're doing here is we're we're helping people to to think critically and to mm-hmm. see patterns and trends. And so we can't look mm-hmm. at the operation of our federal government and just see off. Oh, it's a one off here. This it's is so disconnectful. It's all the same, and it's not just wasteful, and it is wasteful. But it's this this idea that because we are the specials, because we are powerful, because we have the money, because we have the authority, we can jump to do whatever we want to do, even though that might not be what Canadians want. We can make these decisions. We can throw money at it. It doesn't matter if it ruins people's lives. Mm We're the government. We can do it. Oh, and when it comes time to be held accountable for it, then we can blame. And so the one article that we we, we shared actually mm. says, oh, it's be, the, the reason is because the demand for it has gone down. So less and less Canadians are excited about it, right? Canada has about yeah. a 50% third dose percentage and a 15% fourth dose percentage. And so it's not the federal government's fault for buying all of these doses before they cleared <laughs> clinical trials. It's our fault for not taking the shots. And so yeah. we made yeah. a rush decision so, so and we're not, not going to be accountable for it. It's
0: classic blaming the victim. It, let's be honest. If we roll back to the rollout of these shots in, in late 2020... The government of Canada was extraordinarily slow at getting the shots in Canada in the first place. The rollout was terrible. It was, it lagged months behind other developed nations. And then when they actually do get their hands on the vaccines, they spend into oblivion for vaccines that, let's be honest, like they could not have imagined that every person in Canada would get 10 different vaccines. So they they, they spent with reckless abandon. They, they lost their minds. They made a bunch of these pharmaceutical companies and their beneficiaries rich on the back of the taxpayer. And now them and legacy media are spinning around to say – Oh, it's not the federal government's fault. It's you taxpayers. It's, it's your, your fault. fault. We got all these things under the power that was vested in us under emergency acts and whatnot for the pandemic. Um and you should have taken advantage the, of them. You're the wasteful ones. We're the we're, we're the benevolent ones uh, here in the government who are trying to do our best to um, enrich the pharmaceutical co- companies. Um, it actually, they would say to to help Canadian citizens, but you're you're the ones who squandered all the good that the government has done. Where it is the reality of the story? Is the government was has totally mismanaged the COVID situation from soup to nuts, including the vaccine rollout and the amount of doses and the amount of money that was put into them. And you can see the even the disconnect here, Andrew, Uh, the fact of the matter is they rolled out these doses without knowing which ones were good, which ones were bad, yet they bought so much of all of them. But the fact of the matter is only 7,000 of the Pfizer shots were thrown away, which is still quite a bit, but you're comparing that to 1.2 million of Moderna's, AstraZeneca's, 13.6. 13.6. So they were trying to bill them as they're totally interchangeable. But when people had the choice of getting vaccinated, they went for Pfizer at, at an astronomical clip above the these other um, vaccine companies. So it was totally reckless how they spent. Um, and obviously, the ones who lose out in the end, and this is the same old story, are the taxpayer. But Then we see that legacy media and the government are trying to spin it back on the taxpayer and say, oh, it's actually your fault for not getting 79 doses. It's a despicable story, but it's not new from what we've been covering for two and a half years.
1: And speaking of not new and what we've been covering, let's continue to look at the trash inside of this raging dumpster fire. Our second story comes to us from True North News, and this is the ongoing saga of one Kayla Lemieux, the very unwell Oakville teacher with the massive prosthetic breasts that he wears to class and the very tight skimpy clothing, which is deeply disturbing. Apparently, the Halton District School Board continues to defend him as opposed to protecting students with massive, massive double standards. So the Halton District School Board HR superintendent Sari Taha states that implementing any sort of formal dress code would likely expose the board to, quote, considerable liability, close quote, but not for the students, by the way. The students aren't allowed to wear what this guy's allowed to wear. So that's that's how much they care for their students and how consistent they are. Taha's report says even though the dress code would be non-discriminatory, it would likely be found, quote, discriminatory. If it adversely impacts on an employee based on their code protected grounds. The report also notes that employers need to, quote, make allowances to allow employees to express themselves according to their, quote, lived gender. We note this is from. Tahari, we note that if the employer desires to foster a culture of professionalism, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> professionalism, I just realized that word was in there to, to talk about this story. Is am professional about these gigantic plastic boobs getting caught in a circular saw? What a joke. Sorry. Uh, we note that if the employer desires to foster a culture of professionalism, respect, equity and inclusion, a truly reasonable, like these words, I, I, like, I don't think these these words mean what they think they mean. Like they're just describing the situation that's going on here in Oakville and professional and reasonable are not words that you would use. So anyways, you want a truly reasonable and non-discriminatory dress code or grooming standards. That's talk about some irony there. Definitely grooming standards going on here would likely fail to yield the intended results, says the report. So recap, <laughs> this man can wear whatever he wants, however he wants, because this is professional, inclusive, reasonable, and non-discriminatory. Now we can tell the students what they wear, what they can and can't wear. That's totally fine. And also we don't really care about the students and their well-being because of the liability that comes from telling an unwell man that he needs to not dress like a cartoon character Mm
0: -hmm. in what
1: is a truly disturbing situation. So Mm -hmm. I apologize to our audience for that outburst of laughter. That wasn't planned. (laughs) I didn't have that in the notes, but as I was just reading these words out loud for the first time, I thought about the images we're all well aware, well, you know, with which we're well acquainted. And I thought professionalism, and reasonable are not words that I would associate with what's going on in this Oakville high school. Hence the uncontrolled laughter.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, My dad has a saying that um, that's very applicable to the situation. And it's clear that this school board has built the boot for their own behind. (laughs) He <laughs> uses a different word, but uh, for the sake of our listeners, for in this
1: case, they've built, they've built, they've built a high heel for their own leather miniskirt. <laughs>
0: if oh, oh, that's a picture. Um, but notice, knows, notice what's what the problem is, and this is why I, I use that that saying because they, because of their goals of respect and equity and inclusion. It's impossible for them to create a professional and reasonable standard for clothing for teachers that is non-discriminatory. So that's what I mean. They built the boot for their own ass <laughs> because, because of their foolish policies, because of these insane buzzword you know, amorphous terms like like equity and inclusion and non-discriminatory. They've left themselves no actual room to define what's appropriate and not appropriate because those these are totally at odds with each other. These concepts are totally at odds with, with each other. One is about radical expressive individualism. that has no standard it it has no stopping point and the other is trying to put in place a, a standard of professionalism of which teachers must adhere to so this is the problem of this expressive individualism there's no stopping point that's why when we when we critique this sort of thing we say it's not a slippery slope fallacy because embedded in the philosophy is the fact that there is no stopping point. There is no way to limit this um, Yeah, this type of this nonsense. Point,
1: the, the greased up slope has curved into a slide and is <laughs> yeah. already lo- like we're well, we're at the bottom of the slope, which curves into a slide, which has now launched us. into Into the bottom of (laughs) into the lake of debauchery yeah yeah right we are well are well on our way into the sea of self-destruction and so you can't say oh that's a slippery slope we are mid-air about to crash into the water at
0: this point it's it's not a bug it's a feature and that's what we're trying to get at it's a feature of the underlying philosophy this is the, the the though this might not be honestly where people intend to go this is if you're taking, um, if you're doing a proper reductio, you're taking the the somebody's thoughts, somebody's basic presuppositions, and taking it all the way to its logical conclusion. What you're left with is absurdity, right? It's reductio ad absurdum. It's reducing people's thoughts to absurdity, and that's essentially what this philosophy that's not rooted in Christ and is directly opposed, it's antinomian to the core, this is what it's going to lead to. Absolute, total, and utter debauchery and absurdity. And the crazy part is, as we covered on a previous program, this type of absurdity is protected by the Human Rights Code in Ontario. This is protected by law and the 32 amendments over the last... However, many years, like decade, um, in, in, in the Human Rights Commission in the, there in Ontario, so it's an absolute disaster. The situation. And speaking of absolute disasters, and, let and us... disturbing,
1: yeah, disturbing situations <laughs> of men who are dressing grossly inappropriately because they're <laughs> men. Is there another another story in our weekend
0: review you want to tell us about, Matt? Absolutely. And our next story, Andrew, is a story involving our Right Honorable Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau. And it appears that he's going to make another TV appearance to prove his liberal bona fides. And this is what it looks like The time has come. World, meet your next host nation. Bonjour. And welcome to Canada.
1: Who's ready for world domination? Please help me welcome the Prime Minister of Canada, Justin Trudeau! (laughs) This one is about to go down in history. My
0: jaw just dropped. So this story comes to us directly from the CBC, or as we like to call it, the CPC, the Canadian Pravda Corporation. Justin Trudeau... Our Prime Minister here in Canada is swinging by the workroom on an upcoming spin off of Canada's Drag Race. Producers of the Drag Queen competition series say the Prime Minister will make a special appearance on Canada's Drag Race, Canada vs. the World. He's the first world leader to visit RuPaul, the RuPaul founded competition series, which has more than a dozen global spin-offs in countries including Sweden, Australia, Mexico, and the UK. An image from the set showed Trudeau beside Tr- Toronto Drag Queen and host Brooklyn Heights in a segment in which the contestants receive inspiring words before the episode's main challenge. So there you have it, Andrew. It seems like Prime Minister Trudeau has made it his mission to virtue signal across the world in many different platforms, and in doing so, dragging Canada's... <laughs> Uh, reputation through the mud. He is so good at this sort of things. And this is more indicative of his former career as a drama teacher than as his current role um, as the chief executive here in Canada. Well, Matt, this is
1: actually right up our prime minister's alley because, as many people know, our right honorable prime hypocrite has engaged in the practice of blackface a number of times, which is where you paint your face black and dress a certain way and act a certain way, whether it's videos and pictures of him appearing like someone from the Middle East or someone from Jamaica. And what's going on here in this Canada's drag race and really the whole drag world is the gender version of blackface. It's men putting on women face, right? They're men, they're not women, and they're appropriating womanhood over their own manhood, which again, our prime minister has been known to do with regards to skin color. And the truth is, it's even more egregious, because maleness and femaleness, these are not malleable, these are much closer to the core of what makes people people, as opposed to skin color or the melanin count in your skin, which isn't it's important, it's a distinction, but it's not nearly as close to the core of what makes you a man or a woman. And so it it fits. So that's the first thing. I'm not surprised because blackface woman face, whatever, it's all the same. The second thing I'll say is is this, though. He has the time to appear on Canada's drag race and to make sure that he wins over his base. But funny how he doesn't have a single second to speak to a convoy organizer in order to deal with the protests happening in Ottawa, which highlights the corrupt, evil, and sinful nature of his operation as prime minister that he won't have a single, forget about an in-person meeting, he won't have a single phone call with a convoy organizer. And according to all of the testimony from the public inquiry, they were organized, peaceful, reasonable, and constant communication. But he has enough time to go on the show with a bunch of men dressing as women to celebrate them. It's particularly egregious from our prime minister.
0: Absolutely. And I think it just highlights the fact that so much of our political class in the influencer age are, are are not really politicians. They're just influencers in political roles. And there's a grave danger in that because you have people like Justin Trudeau, absolutely one of them. He's not a serious person. He's not a serious politician. He's a chief executive in Canada. He's the, the prime minister of our nation, And he's not a serious person and he wasn't put in place for to be a serious politician. Right. When the the liberal party put Justin Trudeau in place because of name recognition and they wanted to change the image of the party. Right. Because they were perceived largely as a corrupt old guard of politicians who are largely still in place just with a new face in Justin Trudeau. Right. Because when we go back they were Cretchen's uh, government was so corrupt, people were handing bags of money to each other in the open in public um, for kickbacks and uh, uh, quid pro quos for government and business, those sorts of things. So much so that it scandalized the nation and the liberals went from – in power to not even the 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 party of opposition, right? When we're talking about the, the NDP under Jack Lay- Layton took that that mantle um, up because of the utter corruption and the destruction of the liberal name and party recognition. But they use this boy actor with good name res- resignation, with good name recognition, to change the face of their party and act as a simulacra of a true politician. So he's not a real politician. He is a fake politician, just in the same way as orange soda has nothing to do with an actual orange. That is the same relationship that he has with actually being a politician right he's a fake politician who's propped up and he's one of many there's there's politicians across the world many of them backed by the wef who are just that they're actors playing at this and realistically what they're there for is to push a radical left agenda And I mean, you look no further than America and the venerable Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez for a perfect example of what Justin Trudeau is. And it's really Trudeau who I think, above all, really set the stage for those who come to come after him, who are just playing the role of politician. And I... It's despicable. It's disgraceful. Again, he brings reproach to the reputation of Canada. And he's doing all these things purposefully to push a revolution and to alienate those who are against him politically because he knows this will give an opportunity to jump on the culture war fight and say, look at these hypocrites, look at these terrible people. They're against progress in our society. So it's the typical thing that the left always does. They they push a sexual and moral revolution and then they um they they turn around and say conservatives pounce on the fact that we notice what they're doing. And that's exactly what Trudeau will do. And this is him putting his political liberal bona fides above the the role that he was elected to do in government. And that's, again, him, Barack Obama, Alexander Ocasio-Cortez, they're more worried about their legacy Their celebrity. Then they are worried about the nations that they are called to serve. And that is truly despicable. That is the very thing that Christ um, rails against uh, of people being put in political uh, and, and societal power and using it for their own benefit. And I think it's something that we have to not hesitate to call out on the program.
1: I wonder if being on that uh, Canada's drag race is going to make him reconsider his hairdo. I know that one of the things that got him elected was just a really, really great head of hair. I mean, a really nice flow, It was feathery, and people were talking about, man, that hair. And then he he started cutting his hair, and he had the Dumb and Dumber haircut a couple (laughs) months ago, and everyone was memeing about it. So I wonder if being on that show is going to make him reconsider his fabulous hairdo. And get some of the get some of that salad back, some of that good flow back uh, <laughs> to hopefully make him win again. But in yeah, all seriousness... Re- he needed yeah. to
0: resurrect his uh, his image of a fancy boy after that uh, dumb and dumber haircut.
1: Yeah, he's got to bring back bring back <laughs> the nice the nice mop of hair. So, moving on to our final story for the weekend review, this is one that will be of particular interest for parents with kids, and that is that there is a, if you haven't noticed, a massive shortage of children's Tylenol and Advil as well. If you've been to your grocery store or a pharmacy, just gone down the pain relief and fever aisle, there's a significant shortage of these items. This comes to us from CTV News. As hospitals in Canada struggle with an influx of children dealing with respiratory illnesses, the ongoing shortage in children's Tylenol is only complicating the problem, experts say. Fevers that may have been handled at home with the proper over-the-counter medication are now driving concerned parents to take their kids into emergency rooms that are already dealing with children who are seriously ill. While supply chain issues are believed to be a contributor to the issue, in Health Canada's most recent update, they state that unprecedented demand is the key source of the shortage. Tylenol shortages may make parents want to stock up, but it's important not to take more than your fair share. I find it amazing. I'm just going to, hold on. Before I finish reading the rest of this quote here, I find it astounding that Health Canada, the health bureaucracies and our federal government would have the audacity to say, uh, don't take more than your fair share. Really? Don't take more than your fair share? Health bureaucrats that got massive pay increases and and little sweet benefit packages and payouts and Ford's cabinet having a 6% pay increase and don't take more than your share. Uh, just be, a, the quote continues just be mindful that if there's Tylenol that's reintroduced on the shelf, not to take so much Tylenol for your own self, a person said from Health Canada. You need to <laughs> consider other families that are out there that maybe don't even have access to one bottle.
0: I just want to highlight the fact that the bookends of of our week in review here have our government's wasteful spending on a bunch of medicine that will not be used supposed medicine i should say um just millions and millions of dollars and the fact that um largely because of regulation we're running and supply chain problems that were created by the government response to the pandemic—we're now running out of crucial medicines that people actually need um, when they need it. So, again, just another feather in the cap for our managerial class here.
1: And so, if I could, uh, if I could make a recommendation opposed to the uh, the health czars over at Health Canada, I would say if you do go to the grocery store or the pharmacy and you see children's Tylenol and children's Advil, uh, buy all of it, buy as much of it as you can, not necessarily the hoard for yourself, but in our home, for example, seeing this, I, I began to see this trend a number of months ago. I began to go in and see limited stock and limited availability. So I bought it all everywhere I could find it. And we have it in our house, not just for us, but also for friends, from families from our church and friends and neighbors, who might need it? Who don't know where to find it? Well, they can they can get help from us. And so this again the the irony of of them saying, no no, no you need to think about everyone and don't take more than your fair share. I mean that's the, quite a statement coming from people again who print money out of nothing, who spend the tax dollars that we earned freely and into oblivion, wastefully as you've already suggested, Matt on injections that don't work now they're going to say don't think about your own kids no no thank you no that's exactly what i'm going to do and i'm going to be prepared so if you're a parent keep your eye out and if you see it buy uh buy a good bit of it so that's uh that's the the conclusion to our raging dumpster fire (laughs) that is the weekend review
0: Yeah, which is reflective of the raging dumpster fire that our administrative, bureaucratic, managerial state has proved to be. Before we get into our
1: stories on the dispatch today, we want to tell you about our friends over at Bull Bitcoin. Born out of the desire to separate money from the state, Bitcoin epitomizes freedom money. An uncensorable network programmed around digital scarcity, where the individual is in full control and accountable for his own property. Bull Bitcoin, Canada's most trusted Bitcoin exchange since 2013, is a 100% self-funded company led and operated by incorruptible activists for individual liberties and freedom. At Bull Bitcoin, security and privacy are priority. Customers' funds are transferred directly to their Bitcoin wallet in their own possession. With Bull Bitcoin, you never run the risk of losing your money. You own the money. Sign up at mission.bullbitcoin.com/lcc and get started with your account's creation today. Contact Bull's best-in-business customer support team at any point to request assistance throughout the process. Take control of your money. Mission.BullBitcoin.com slash LCC.
0: Well, Andrew, as we've been wont to do on the program as the public inquiry into the War of Measures Act, as you have it here, or the Emergency Act, as it actually is called. But uh, but the know. Emergencies
1: Act is is the drag thing, though, right? The Emergencies Act is is the drag getup. That's the, that's the makeup and the dress and the yes. wig yeah. to try to pretty it up. Yeah. But that, so that's the drag presentation. But the War Measures Act, which is really the ugly, unwell man underneath the drag. Mm. That's why that's why we call it what we call it, because we want to pull away the makeup and the wigs and the perfume. Yeah. We want
0: to expose, get beyond the euphemism. Yeah, euphemisms. Yeah. We and, want and to get...
1: expose the sad, bald man behind the wig.
0: <laughs> yeah, well said, well said. So let us recap the week that was in the uh, emergencies inquiry. Uh, so let's start at day 18 of the inquiry. A document from CSIS reveals that on February 13th, the day prior to the invocation of the Emergencies Act, Csis told cabinet the implementation of the EA would likely galvanize the anti-government narrative within the convoy and further radicalize uh, uh, some some towards violence and that the EA would likely lead to the dispersing of Ottawa Protests. The invocation would push Canadians to believe that violence is the only solution to what they perceive to be a broken system and government. Windsor Mayor Drew Dilkins told Commission Lawyer that the city of Windsor. Didn't need to use any of the measures in the Emergencies Act to clear the blockades since the Ambassador Bridge was already cleared prior to the government invoking the act. This was reiterated by the interim deputy chief of Windsor Police Service, Jason Crowley. So those are two big revelations coming from day 18. The fact that CSIS was uh, saying that the implementation of the EA would further galvanize the situation and potentially lead to raising the temperature of the situation to a violent level where it was not um, at before. So they were kind of recommending that it not be used. And then obviously we heard one of the justifications was for the invoking of the act was the the shutdown of the ambassador bridge there in windsor but we now know from drew Wil- dilkins uh the mayor and uh, jason crowley the uh police service chief there um the deputy chief that the 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 blockade of the Ambassador Bridge was dispersed um, voluntarily um, without the invocations of the Emergency Act and prior to. So uh, those cannot be used as predicates for the actual invocation of the Act.
1: So Day 19 had a readout of a February 9th phone call proving that Justin Trudeau never thought that Ontario required additional legal tools to clear protesters from Ottawa and from the Ambassador Bridge, the transcript quotes Trudeau telling Ford, "You shouldn't need more tools, legal tools. They are barricading the Ontario economy and doing millions of damage a day." Trudeau expressed concerns about the public perception of Canada, urging Ford to act quickly to quote prevent Ontario from becoming a laughingstock. Well, yes. I mean, our prime minister did a really good job of making our country a laughingstock already. So really, this is a little bit of shaming and deflecting. You could see him trying to guilt Ford and to say, why don't you show, I'm going to put some of this on you as well. I've ruined our country, but I'm going to throw some of it on you as well. So Justin Trudeau continues in this phone call with Premier Doug Ford. Quote, at a time when we're trying to draw investments, a whole bunch of people are looking at this and saying, we can't even clear up a protest on a bridge. Trudeau said to Ford, Trudeau also took a shot at the intelligence of the protesters on the call to Ford. He said this, I wonder if they are not very smart people. Now, I'll just highlight there that sentence. I wonder if they're not very smart people. uh, Sounds like something a stupid person would say. Right. It, I wonder if they're not very smart people. Oh, really? Like is, that's what that's what a not very smart person would yeah. say. But this is coming from sentence.
0: the drama teacher in chief yeah. who who's <laughs> actually openly said he can't he literally cannot do basic math. Right? I wonder. So-
1: <laughs> I wonder if they are the not smarty ones of the brains not working. You could have that. That could have been said by him. Yeah. Anyway, so so let's so be honest. That, Justin Trudeau
0: is not you. the full package, and he's clearly right. missing uh, the brains. <laughs> yeah. oh, he's got to get
1: that hair back. He's got to yeah. get that hair back. It's his so reputation. This is, what, uh, this is what Premier Ford, who I voted for first time. I don't regret it at the time, uh, and still I can't change the past, but. He seemed that he was going to do a good job, at least initially. This is what he said to our prime minister. I'm just as frustrated as you. If I could direct the police, I would. I can't direct the OPP. I can't call them and say, get your asses in there and kicking ass. That's what Ford told Trudeau. It's up to the OPP. He told Trudeau in the call that former Ottawa police chief Peter Slawley had, quote, lost control of, of the situation. So this, I mean, this phone call to me seems like something from out of a scene of a movie, maybe a little bit of a, of an action comedy where the bad guys are going back and forth and talking about how they want to deal with the protagonist. But the sense I get is that Trudeau, obviously feeling the pressure of all of this because he created the problem is now telling the premier, Hey, can you help fix this? This is on you. This is a bad look for us. And then in, Adam and Eve in the garden fashion, they all blame (laughs) someone else. Yeah. Right. So Trudeau says, it's not me. It's the premier. And the premier says, it's not me. It's the provincial police. And Mm. the provincial police say, I don't know. They they beat the protesters down. So that's that's what <laughs> yeah. day nineteen revealed.
0: It's it's again on the theme of today's show an absolute dumpster fire, and I'm not surprised that Doug Ford has gone out of his way to make sure that he doesn't have to uh, actually testify before the commission because he'll already he already looks foolish in just what's coming out here, and I'm sure he would look even more idiotic if he were actually had to be examined by lawyers and in front of a public inquiry yeah
1: i don't think he would know what to do if he didn't have a script and cue cards yes he might he might actually tell the truth (laughs) which (laughs) which would be really bad for him and for trudeau at this point
0: absolutely so on to day 20 the mayor of the Alberta town, Coots, Jim Willett, testified that 70% of the town supported the Coots border blockade and that emergency services were never impacted during the border protests. Willett's description of the Coots protesters under questioning Wednesday was quite different from the description. Of the protesters, Willett gave to the Canadian press reporter while the protests were blockading the Coots border crossing. it described the protesters to Bill Graveland, a Canadian press reporter, over text messages as domestic terrorists. But when asked by government lawyers why it used the term domestic terrorists, it responded by saying... These people seem to fit the definition. Yet, again, what we see is if they are domestic terrorists, they're doing a terrible job because, as from his own testimony, most of them, the vast majority of people within the constituency that he is the mayor of, supported them. So he's calling most of the constituency of the town that he is there to lead, domestic terrorists, and then he's also acknowledging that there was no terrorist acts. <laughs> in fact, which, and, they they went out of their the way to time. make sure that emergency lanes were open.
1: And we've seen this a bunch of times in the inquiry so far, where you'll yeah. have someone... and it's So when you actually have the Freedom Convoy going on, and you have the various protests in these cities... You have people saying the most inflammatory stuff, bringing the most ridiculous charges against them. And then they're allowed to say it because legacy media will, will give them cover and the federal government and the various levels of elected officials will just back it up. But then when they actually have to justify it and give an account for what they said, then they backpedal, They're basically backpedaling so fast they're moonwalking off the, the, the edge of a cliff. We saw this in the first couple of days where the citizens of Ottawa, you had, I think it was Catherine McKenney, who was running for mayor in Ottawa, said during the convoy that Ottawa citizens were being terrorized and it was, and then, and then, oh, oh, well, can you give us evidence? No, I don't, I don't actually have any evidence. I just heard about it. They were ripping masks off people. Did you see it? No, I didn't. I didn't see that either. They were doing violence. Oh, like what? Oh, we don't, we didn't actually see any. And so here again, you have the mayor of Coots, who calls them domestic terrorists when everyone will give him cover for it. But then when his feet are put to the fire, what does he say? Well, I mean, they kind of seem like domestic terrorists. I mean, they were singing and eating Tim Horton's donuts and they were waving Canadian flags and singing, oh, Canada, And peacefully protesting and then when we showed up with police and snipers and sound devices on cars then they quickly and in reasonable fashion dispersed so Mm -hmm. i guess they fit the definition of domestic terrorism that's what it is (laughs) and it should
0: be noted too like we 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 had actual on the ground um video evidence of the setup in coots um we, we talked to people who were there on the ground. When there were guns found, do people remember what happened? The people of Coots willingly stopped the blockade. They hugged the cops that were there. And they said, this is not indicative of why we were here and doing what we're doing. So, All those te- such domestic terrorists I, I doing know. their domestic
1: terrorisms.
0: So-, so even even a hint of like impropriety they balked at that they willingly dispersed and they 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 hugged law enforcement and went out of their way to disassociate with anybody who would be remotely involved in anything that could remotely be categorized as terrorism so all evidence to the contrary again andrew it still has not stopped our public officials from vilifying and slandering those who were taking part in these protests that were spontaneous. They were organic and they, they came, they, they prop their, they, they developed across the entire nation. So I think it's just, again, another incidence of, of just crazy folly on behalf of uh, government officials. Andrew finish off uh, the week that was in the emergency act with day 21.
1: Day 21. So Ontario Deputy Solicitor General, he testified that he did not have any concerns, okay? Any concerns, as in no concerns, about violent crime at any time throughout the Freedom Convoy protest. Zero concerns about zero violent crime at any time during the Freedom Convoy protest. Under questioning from the commission, counsel, Mario Di Tommaso was asked, did you have public safety concerns about what was happening in Ottawa by February 6th? His answer, no. Isn't it amazing when someone gives a direct answer and doesn't try to tiptoe around it? No. I was still not seeing any significant serious violent crime concerns at all. At no time did Chief Slawley or Commissioner Karik, who's the OPP commissioner, communicate to me that there were significant public safety concerns from a violence perspective. So here's the Deputy Solicitor General saying that the Ottawa police chief and the OPP commissioner never testified to him that there were any concerns from a violence perspective. When asked by the Commission Council if he thought that Ontario's declaration of emergency was not enough to bring the protests in Ottawa and Windsor to an end, Di Tommaso denied the assertion, stating, I thought that the provincial emergency declaration and the orders that flowed from them were sufficient to assist the police in resolving both Ottawa and Windsor. Read there, no need for the War Measures Act. Alberta Assistant Deputy Solicitor General Martin DeGrand testified under questioning from convoy lawyer Brendan Miller that none of the provisions of the act were used by Alberta RCMP to clear the Coots border blockade. I don't know if, if any of you have actually seen it. We should probably link it in the uh, in the video. I don't know if any of you have seen any of the episodes of the Celebrity Boxing. There's two of them where Justin Trudeau is actually in these box. I think one's a sparring session and one's an actual map, like a match. And he's just getting pummeled. Like they are beating on him. And it's kind <laughs> of, cathar- I don't wish violence upon anyone. It's, it's a boxing match. I mean, same when you, when you watch a boxing fight mm-hmm. or a UFC fight, you're cheering for your guy to win. And the other guy, you know, he takes one in the kisser and you're kind of like, yeah, because you want victory, right? It's not about the harm is it's the victory. And so it's kind of cathartic going back and watching these. But this emergency, this public inquiry has basically felt like a prolonged version of that boxing match. Where really in, in like day one and day two. It was over. I mean, the knockout blow was dealt and it, he's falling down. It's like it's over. Everything was clear after the first couple of days. And so what this feels like is a ref not throwing, not like calling the fight. And so here you have the federal <laughs> government. And and that's why I think of this video in particular. Justin Trudeau is getting pummeled. Like it's over. He's out on his feet. He's out cold on his feet. And the refs, they are letting it continue for four, five, six, seven rounds. And no one's throwing in the towel. And it's kind of painful to watch testimony after testimony where the, the, the consensus from everyone is there was zero need. The, the, the need wasn't there. The violence and the fear and the actual danger wasn't there, one. No one was asking for it, two. That the means to deal with the protests, apart from the act, were already there, three. I mean, it's, it's it. KO. KO federal government.
0: Yeah, and uh, we should mention, too, that uh, Mario D Tommaso... Another Italian, Andrew. There are lots of Italians. I think you bring them out of the woodworks here. Um, His testimony was actually stopped short the day prior to uh, what came out here on day 21 because of an incident that actually stopped the inquiry for a day. And we want to play you that incident now. And that is because of the sudden collapse of government lawyer Gabriel Poliquin, And we want to play that shocking video for you right now.
1: Okay. So you have a phone call at 1,300 hours, I think, with uh, Deputy Minister Rob Stewart. He says that there are 300 uh, commercial CMV, that's commercial vehicles. Yes. I'm I'm not a prophet here. If I was if I was if I was a betting man, right? If I if I if I was a betting man, I would I would venture, I would wager that he's had at least three
0: doses. I I think that's been confirmed at this stage. It's been confirmed at this stage that he's had his initial shots as well as his booster recently as well. So um Obviously, there's no direct evidence um, that this pass out was caused by by the shots. We wouldn't say that. But there has been, obviously, um, correlation between sudden passing out, severe medical events uh, and sudden medical events and the jab itself. So whether or not that's a result from it or not, people pass out for many different reasons, but it is uh important to note that he has gotten jabbed uh, three times, apparently. So there you have it. So, yeah, but uh, KO, federal okay. government,
1: Justin Trudeau. It's hard to, watch the, it's hard it to watch the video. <laughs> it's hard to watch
0: the video, but and, and,
1: uh, it's it over matches over.
0: Yeah. I, I was going to say, I, I feel like, the video we just saw is, as you've said, indicative of kind of how the entire inquiry <laughs> is going. Well, the um, video I was
1: talking about is the one where we do, uh, I, I we should uh, we should attach a link where it's, and someone actually puts uh, some curbier enthusiasm music to it as well. So it's quite comical where, uh, where and it, it shows a clip where Justin, a much younger Justin Trudeau is trying to flirt with this woman. And he's like, I was made for this. I was like this is what this is just what i do i just go and i fight and then he gets walloped in the head it's uh it's a well put together piece of uh piece of art from from real artiste if i might say so
0: andrew bring us home here with the last story of the day
1: before we do that matt we need to tell our audience about our friends over at red balloon I know that 2020 and 2021 feel like a lifetime ago, but I remember businesses forcing their employees to muzzle their faces, which, interestingly enough, might come back again, or businesses firing people unless they could prove that they'd put the experimental jab in them. Whatever happened to workplaces being about hard work, integrity, and respecting our rights and freedoms? That's why you need to connect with Red Balloon today. If you're a Canadian business that wants solid employees who don't care about having a woke, statist, ESG-friendly workplace, then sign up at redballoon.org slash LCC to post jobs for great employees. If you're looking for a workplace that will respect your rights, freedoms, and conscience, sign up at redballoon.org slash LCC to find great employers. Let's make Canadian businesses cancel-proof and let's build a solid economy together at LCC, I will let our audience know that the reason in part why I am covering the story and why Matt insisted on it is because in case you haven't been able to guess at this point, I happen to be the child of immigrants. And so we thought it would be fitting for me to deliver this, uh, this last story here. This comes to us from the Government of Canada website. This was posted on November 1st. Today, the Honourable Sean Frazier, Minister of Immigration, Refugees and Citizenship, released Canada's 2023 to 2025 Immigration Levels Plan. The plan embraces immigration as a strategy to help businesses find workers and to attract the skills required in key sectors, including healthcare, skilled trades, manufacturing and technology to manage the social and economic challenges Canada will face in the decades ahead. Apparently, jab mandates and firing people because they don't comply. That's a bad strategy for this. And so the good strategy would be removing that. But we're not going to do that. We're going to kind of just gloss over the past because we're all about pandemic amnesty. So the new strategy is just bring people in. It continues. Last year, Canada welcomed over 405,000 newcomers, the most we've ever welcomed in a single year. The government is continuing that ambition by setting targets in the new levels plan of 465,000 permanent residents in 2023, 485,000 in 2024, and 500,000 in 2025. The plan also brings an increased focus on attracting newcomers to different regions of the country, including small towns and rural communities. This comes from True North News. Quote, last year, we welcomed the most newcomers in a single year in our history, said the Minister of Immigration, Sean Frazier, in the press release. This year's Immigration Levels Plan will help businesses find the workers they need, set Canada on a path that will contribute to our long-term success and allow us to make good on key commitments to vulnerable people fleeing violence, war, and persecution. Now we have a few things to say about this immigration policy. And the first one that I'll say is this, no one is and should be inherently against immigration for the sake of immigration. Again, I am the grandchild of immigrants. And so I benefit from the fact that my grandparents came to this country Mm -hmm. from what was a post-war torn Italy. I mean, Italy was devastated Mm -hmm. after the Second World War. And so they came here desiring a better life for themselves and for their children and for their grandchildren. And so it would be hypocritical of me to say, now that I got in, shut the door behind me So, no one is opposed Mm. to immigration for the sake of immigration. And and I
0: have to say, I don't look Italian. You look very much Italian. My mom's side is Italian. I smell
1: Italian too. Yeah. You (laughs) got
0: the garlic uh, butter in the hair and everything. Right. Um, uh, I don't look Italian. My mom's side are Italian Jews who fled Italy during the interwar period to Canada, obviously, so they could seek refuge because they could see what was coming. Down the pike in, in uh Europe. Um, so I'm again I I I love immigration. I'm actually a big fan of in- immigration. I actually would under normal circumstances call for more legal legal immigration, especially um in a system that doesn't have the welfare and social nets that we do as a system because sadly the reality of this is people aren't immigrating into um, a blank slate right we're not a tabula rasa as a nation as as canadians we're a a nation in crisis in a constitutional crisis um it, it, we're we're a nation that doesn't have an identity. Uh, we're a nation that can't even provide for its own citizens. Um, we're a nation whose infrastructure is crumbling. We're a nation whose just basic healthcare system is falling apart and crumbling under the own weight of its stupidity. Um, so we're a nation that is bloated. It doesn't have a defined Identity. Um, it has a, a gigantic social safety net that is crumbling, a pension system that is going to be insolvent. We're a nation that is in debt like unbelievable amounts. Um, in fact, just extraordinarily. Ex- Insane debt, racking up to the trillions. We're we're a nation who has a shortage of housing. Uh, We're a nation on the brink. And that's the context in which we're trying to bring in half a million new immigrants to our nation every single year. So though I am absolutely, as I've said, Andrew, pro-immigration, especially legal immigration the context in which this is being done is going to be catastrophic and that's the reality of the situation so philosophy uh, aside the, the reality of the 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 issue is canada can't handle this especially as we're tabling bills that would call for universal dental care which is already coming into place um, or which well we already have dental care for children in place and it will be universal dental care um universal pharma care does universal dental care include crowns cuz i have a couple crowns to go should i should I hold <laughs> off until that comes into place and more than likely okay um, and then we we've also talked about on a previous episode there is a huge push within our nation coming from the liberal wing of Canadian politics, which is apparently every party, Um, maybe save the conservatives, but just give them a few years. They'll get there. Um, Especially from the NDP to push for UBI, universal basic income. And that's actually being forwarded by my um, MP here in, uh, in the area that I'm in, in Winnipeg. Um, But that's the situation. So you're going to have, so the the question is, how is this actually going to work? It's totally, it's totally nonsensical. It's totally unsustainable for people who talk all the time about sustainability. It's I the know. new buzz w- word. They're it's literally
1: glaringly, glaringly uh, hip, hypocritical and ironic that they would talk about it's overpopulation and there's too many people and oh, oh, let's just bring more. And again, it's it just be consistent. If what you're saying is, listen canada is a big country that is full of natural resources we have room for a lot of people and Mm -hmm. there's a lot of work to do okay fine great but if and if if, no we're limited with resources and there's overpopulation oh and by the way Kill your babies and kill your old people, and we need to bring them in in. both sides of your
0: mouth. Yeah, it's it's double speak. Yeah, no, absolutely, and and furthermore, Canada is one of the nations in the world who has the most crown owned land out of any nation, and that means the government owns that and controls that land. If the government was bringing people in and giving them plots of land so they could fulfill the Dominion mandate and and settle. Uh, areas of Canada that have not been appropriately settled because there is so much land that is hardly settled at all in Canada. I'm all for that. I think that's a great thing. But now we're talking about having uh, half a million uh, new immigrants coming to a, a society, as I've mentioned, that is on the brink of collapse and into cities that are already overwhelmed that are having housing crisis, that healthcare systems are totally crumbling. And this only leads you to believe that this is for one pers- purpose. And it is, again, to disrupt and dismantle the current Canadian society, to push it to the point of disaster, and then to have the government come in and say, aha, see, this is totally unsustainable. It's totally untenable. What we need is the government to play an even bigger role in controlling Canadian lives. And that's why you have this confusing doublespeak that's coming for government. And it just totally seems insane. But again, it's for a purpose. It's towards an end. And, you know, we're not prophets, nor sons of prophets. But that's, to me, the only way you can make sense of these two seemingly contradictory ideas.
1: Yeah, there seems to be some nefarious political work at play, because if you bring people in from, you know, even from war torn, devastated countries, you say, come to our country, you have free health care, free education, free dental, free vision, a great welfare state, who do you think they're going to vote for they're going to vote for daddy that gave them everything they're going to vote for the people that are giving them all the handouts
0: and so this is half a million people because we should say a certain way we should say it's not technically free right this is all in the back pair uh, on the on the back of current canadian taxpayers and on future generations of canadian taxpayers um so it's not free but what this does is you're right it gives a it gives politicians a cadre of people that they can support they can set themselves up as benefactors so then they they can vote for them so they can remain in power and control and that's again it's always a way to perpetuate their power and control over canadian citizens so
1: and this this is to be contrasted with immigration in the past because if the if this were the pitch come to canada you'll find safety here there's prosperity here and there's tremendous opportunity here but you won't get any handouts you're going to have to work hard which means you're going to have to build businesses work from the ground up and do what is required to actually experience and and, and and receive the benefit, right? Avail yourselves of all the opportunities here that if you work hard, and if you have integrity and character, you will do fairly well. If that's the pitch, then the sort of people who would take advantage of that are going to be the same sort of people like my grandparents and like immigrants of the past who, when they came to Canada... What they saw was a government that wasn't full on fascistic or tyrannical, that they didn't see the devastation from wars and corruption, but tremendous opportunity. But when my grandma Nono came here, he, he it wasn't like, okay, here's the welfare state, here's the safety net, here's the free healthcare go. He had to come here first for two years to work to establish himself and to eventually start his own business right He, he was a licensed carpenter in two countries, in Italy and in Germany. And he was fluent in three languages, Italian, German, and English. And so he comes here to Canada. And for two years before my nonna and before my mom would come over, she was just a few years old. Here he is working hard, establishing himself, building up a business so that he can actually prosper. And then once the rest of my family comes over, my nonna also, who's a nurse in Italy, now finds a job as a nurse in hospitals, dealing with the language barrier, but working hard nevertheless. They were the kind of people that wouldn't vote for the party that was saying handout, 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 because they understood what that led to. So here they are, hardworking, you know, doing the tough stuff, seeking initiative, contributing. They're going to vote a certain way which is for the political party that says if you work hard and if you take your individual responsibility and freedom seriously, it will benefit you. So when that's the pitch, those are the kind of people you get. But if the pitches come here, we'll give you everything, then yes, you're going to have people that will continue to vote for the wonderful benevolent daddy who spoils us and gives us everything. So we can't help but see shady political motives here. Because this isn't the kind of immigration that built up Canada, right? The infrastructure of Canada in cities like Toronto and in Montreal, the reason why that they, you know, kind of grow up the way that they do is because you have immigrants coming over from Europe who are working hard, who in Europe have incredible credentials and careers, who have to leave, who come here to work hard, who build it up. And it just so happens that all of these immigrants are conservative-leaning and they vote conservatively, and they raise their kids to vote conservatively. And those are not the kind of people you want if you are a globalist, leftist agenda, and and a corrupt government system. So it's, it's very difficult to not see that in this, to see mm-hmm. that there is a political goal in mind, which isn't actually hardworking building up Canada, but maintaining a certain level of power, like you said, on the backs and at the expense of hardworking Canadians that are probably more conservative leaning mm-hmm. and our kids and our grandkids for generations to come. Yeah.
0: And it's it's really important to uh, note too that the, the recent election in the United States of America has kind of shone a light on what you're talking about, right? Uh, Hispanics, uh, largely throughout a lot of um, constituencies in the United States of America, broke more heavily for Republicans than they ever have done in the past because of exactly what you're talking about. Many of them have legally immigrated to the nation, have built from you know basically nothing the lives that they have based on the promise of opportunity, adventure, freedom, and the american dream and now they're seeing their own countrymen right or or former countrymen coming to the country illegally not going through the proper steps that they had to right sidestepping all those hoops that made it far harder for them to come than than these people but then instead of doing the the very things that they have to do by law in order to continue to remain in the country, they're getting handouts. And you're seeing a huge backlash for this. And this is, again, why governments have to be very careful of trying to manipulate populations in order to maintain or promote um, power for themselves, right, to change the demography, because that's what the left used to say. Demographic demographics is destiny, right? If we can change the demographics of a nation, we can change how they vote, then we can implement our social policies and, uh, you know, establish this, you know, daddy um, state uh, like never before. That's what has been the talking point on the left. You have to be Careful with that type of behavior because what you're doing is essentially creating two classes of citizens in a society. Whether or not that's your stated goal or stated purpose, it is in actuality what's being done. Because what have we seen over the pandemic? We've seen the destruction of many small businesses, we've seen the loss of many people's jobs, and what have we seen? The increase in government jobs. And as I've stated on the program many a time, when you have those who are, are employed by the state, who are government employed, what you've created is a, a constituency of, of the population who are not taxpayers, they are tax consumers. And what I mean by that, though they might pay taxes and have to do income tax at the end of the year... Ultimately, they only pay a fraction of taxes to what they actually consume and what they earn. So they're on net tax consumers and they increase the burden on the actual taxpayers, those who are hardworking entrepreneurs who are creating their own jobs in in the nation. So it's only further creating that divide and ratcheting up that tension that people feel because... The taxpayers have a heavier burden to build up and and prop up the Canadian society for the sake of tax consumers, of welfare recipients, of those who are taking handouts from the government. And that is obviously going to create animosity. And that's the danger of... These programs that are largely in place for ideological reasons or to maintain political power is they they the the dangerous result of monkeying with the system is you create real hostilities and real class tensions, race tensions, if if that's kind of the angle that you do. And that is why we're for limited government maximizing political freedom. Believe it or not, Andrew and I are dedicating our time to do political analysis and commentary so that we can say we need less politics in everyday life. I know that seems counterintuitive, but what we're calling for is the reestablishment of these different spheres of life to diminish the influence of political life and politics in in our daily lives, we're calling for less government. We're calling for less regulations. We're calling for less restrictions on people's lives to maximize personal and individual freedom. With that, with all adventure is risk and reward, right? It 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 is way more dynamic and way more elastic in that sense, but it needs to exist to avoid creating these social uh, tensions that we feel and to avoid creating this class of people that we have now, which are, are politicians who get elected, and then they they end up making fortunes and livelihoods off of being what are supposed to be political servants but now it's we have a an incentive structure of cronyism in our nation that people want to get into politics so they can become famous become celebrities and make a wealth and a fortune off the back of that and off ultimately the back of hard paying or or, on on taxpayers on hard-working canadian citizens and that's why we need to drastically diminish the role of government in our daily lives. So we can get rid of all this nonsense.
1: So it, it would be great if we were able to work ourselves out of a job. Oh, and, absolutely. And, and didn't have to, didn't have to tell everyone about all the corruption. But, but I mean, I that mean with, day, that,
0: with that being I'm, said, with that being said, I think there's always a role for the church speaking prophetically within mm-hmm. the civil civil realm. We would agree on that, but, the like a lot of people are decrying the polarization, the tension, all this stuff that we're seeing in Canadian society because of the the just the fact that everything is politicized. What what company shoes you wear, what football team you cheer for, all of these things have become politicized because politics, because of the size and scope of government, has has seeped into every aspect of. Canadians' lives, and there is no just ground that we can occupy that is not tainted by politics, and that's a dangerous precedent that we would we would like to see reversed. And if that means we're out of a job and people aren't going to want to watch us because they're happy being free and loving their families and going to church, well, yes, in that case, I'd be happy to go away forever.
1: But uh, it doesn't look like that's happening anytime soon. And so because this appears to be a multi-generational cultural war and battle that we will be engaging in, that's why here at the Liberty Coalition Canada, we need your help and we need your support in order to fund and prop up and help this actual goal, this mission of actually being a united front for freedom and liberty in Canada. So friends, we need your support. It is the middle of November. We're coming close to the end of our calendar year. Our goal, our audacious goal is to raise $300,000 for this next calendar year so that we can keep doing this, that we can keep bringing you news and analysis and shows so that we can keep engaging the way that we are. We want to add more shows. We want to do journalism. We want to have people contributing op-eds as well. We want to do all this work. And so please go to com slash donate and support the work that we're doing here. Whether it's a one-time donation or if you can commit to supporting us monthly, both of those are much appreciated. And so please go and do that. Support the work that we're doing here so that we can keep informing you and hopefully educating And bringing about the kind of change that we want to see, if nothing else, simply in the way that Canadians and Christians think about these things and operate in their lives, in their families, in their churches, and in their communities. We also want to say that the rest of this week is a particularly special week. So Matt and I Mm. will be at the Church at War conference in Waterloo from Thursday to Saturday. And we are going to be bringing you updates over the course of the next number of days via email, via social media, because we have some very special things planned. We have a live, well, it may not be live, but it'll be an in-person interview mm. with Matt, myself, James Coates, and Tim Stevens. That'll be dropping on Thursday. On Friday, we are planning on having a maybe live stream, but again, in-person Liberty Lounge with Tim Tyson. Mike Teason, Matt, and myself, which is we will awesome. Be there. I'm so excited for we that! We will be there, bringing updates, video mm-hmm. clips. We'll be pulling pastors and people aside. Lots of different, uh, lots of different questions and pictures and videos. If you're there, by the way, if you happen to be at the Church at War conference and you're listening to this, come and find us. We'll be there. We'll have a table set up. Love To meet you, love to meet you. Love to give yeah. you some samplets from our sponsors. Both Bull Bitcoin and Resistance Coffee are sending some sweet swag and fun little sample thingies to give our audience. So make sure you come and find us. And again, make sure that you are checking social media because we will send you updates with the times of the various things that are happening this week. We would love to meet you and see you if you are there at the conference.
0: Absolutely. It should be a wonderfully fun exciting week a good uh time of fellowship and we hope uh a time that's up building to the Church of Jesus Christ in our nation um i hope it's God honoring and we very much hope to to meet many of you who uh listen to the show and who have benefited from some of the stuff that we have done um we really do look forward to the time thank you again for joining us on the liberty dispatch and until next time Galatians 5-1.
1: Thanks for tuning in to Liberty Dispatch, a united front to restore liberty and justice in Canada. Please subscribe to our podcast and Rumble channel, as well as visit our website at www.libertycoalitioncanada.com.